remain standing for our reading of Scripture this morning. We are in Mark chapter 3. We'll start and continue the exposition in Mark uh, coming to chapter 3 this morning. This morning I'm going to give you an overview of the chapter, so I want to read some verses from the middle, and then next week we'll come back and start in uh, the, the first verse of chapter 3. But this morning, verses 20 through 27 of Mark chapter 3, let us hear and attend to the word of God. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. The gospel accounts of Jesus Christ's life and ministry are not written as a daily diary or a journal. I'm sure you know that, but I think it's a helpful reminder sometimes. Uh, There are some time references and some day-by-day sections, such as Passion Week. But for the most part, the gospels give episodes in the life of Jesus by narrative stories and preaching and teaching excerpts rather than psychoanalytic reports, uh, factors contributing to a messianic personality identity. That's the way false teachers and false theologies often uh, turn to the the, uh, Gospels, and they try to figure out, they want to get in the mind of Jesus, and they want to find some kind of psychoanalytic uh, way of reporting and saying, oh, well, this is why Jesus had this messianic personality disorder or identity. That's not why the Gospels are given to us. In the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 3, The shocking conflict of Jesus' truthful messianic identity is made public and it well illustrates the summary formulation that you probably have heard as well by C.S. Lewis that Jesus was either a liar, he was a deceiver, or a lunatic, he was a crazy person, or he was indeed the Lord of glory, the Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Lord, lunatic, or liar. Who is Jesus? And the gospel accounts are given to us uh, showing us and, and setting out for us the claim that Jesus is indeed the Lord Christ. Now, while chapter and verse markers were not part of the original text, I, I know you know that as well, they are nonetheless useful and they often reflect textual and grammatical transitions in the narrative. And I believe a good example here is in the, di- uh, the division between chapter 2 of Mark and going on into chapter 3. And the reason I say that is because if you'll remember last week, At the end of chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, Jesus' disciples were plucking and eating grain on the Sabbath. And now as we go over to chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, Jesus is healing a man's hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now it's useful in these examples to see, yes, both of these passages deal with Sabbath controversies that the Pharisees were picking with Jesus. However, each story, just because they deal with Sabbath controversies, really belong to a different theme and context. 
And I want to point that out to you, and, and I hope that will become uh, more evident as we go along. Just because both of these are about um, Sabbath controversies don't mean that they have the same intent or purpose. Uh, Mark is not just being redundant here. In chapter 1, verses 23 through 28 that we saw last week, Jesus identifies himself as the divine Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, with heavenly authority or power on earth to reclaim the Sabbath as a gift for soul rest by new covenant fulfillment and reconciliation through the gospel. Because he is the messianic king priest in waiting. He is authorizing a new covenant Sabbath gospel in waiting. A new covenant Sabbath in waiting that comes with the gospel. The Sabbath that remains for the people of God. And then as we come to chapter 3, Mark continues with straight talk about Jesus Christ as the gospel source being uniquely son of God Jesus Christ creates a new covenant family of God by a supernatural salvation. Now, he claimed to be the creator in reference to the Sabbath, giving a new Sabbath. He's claiming that he has that authority and that power from heaven as the one who who gave the original creation. He has the authority to give a new and better, a Sabbath in waiting that comes with the new covenant as he is the king priest in waiting. And then we come to chapter 3, and you'll see in the theme of chapter 3 that Jesus Christ creates a new covenant family of God by supernatural salvation. Look at verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read through. Uh, We want to expound. We'll come back and do the exposition in the weeks to come. But I want you to get the overview here. Verses 1 through 6. And he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other, Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So we'll see in verses 1 through 6, a new covenant life starts with a saved life by supernatural power over death. That's what Jesus is claiming and what he he says this is the point of his healing. Is it lawful to do good and to save life or to do evil and to kill? And so Jesus creates new life. New covenant life starts with saved life through the supernatural power that Jesus has over death. Look at verses 7 through 12. But Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and uh, Adumia and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a a small boat should be kept ready for him because the multitude, because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions uh, pressed around him or about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, wherever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. So here in verses 7 through 12, a new covenant life, not by human bloodline, not 
your people or where you're from. And we'll talk about the people coming from so many different areas around. This new covenant life, this saved life from death over the power of death is by the Holy Spirit of adoption through new birth being a supernatural power greater than unclean spirits. Uh, this is not just an add-on here that Mark writes and that Jesus uh, rebuked the, the uh, unclean spirits and wouldn't let them testify of him. That also is important to the balance of the chapter. And we see that this new covenant life, this saved life, the supernatural power over death that Jesus has is supernatural power over the unclean spirits. And that's a, a new life that's not by human bloodline. It's not who your parents were. It's not who, where you're, you're from. But it comes through the spirit of adoption. Look at verses 13 through 19. And he went up to a mountain and called to him those uh, he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Now, in verses seven through tw- or, or, uh, 13 through 19, this also is connected to the theme of what uh, Mark is uh, showing us in chapter 3 concerning new covenant life. Uh, a new covenant life is a saved life. Saved from death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. A power over death, supernatural power. Uh, that The new covenant life comes by the Holy Spirit of adoption and supernatural power over the spirit world. And then new covenant life brings together a new covenant people. And this new covenant people are commissioned under 12 apostles, commissioned ones, sent, that are superseding the old covenant 12 tribes of the patriarchs of Israel. And so, again, we want to make connection with that and see what Jesus is doing. And uh, these whom he named and called out of his disciples, and he uh, ordained them and sent them and commissioned them as his apostles, as gifts to his church. And then the next section is in verses 20 through 35. And I know this is a longer section, and in some of our Bibles it might be broken up a little bit. But the theme carries through, and I think we really need to see the whole section, verses 20 through 35, So if you will, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 20. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his goods. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter... But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, 
Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So here in verses 20 through 35, again, we have part of the theme of chapter 3 regarding the new covenant life and the new people of God. The new covenant royal family of faith, confessing by the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is divine Savior and Lord who supernaturally destroys the kingdom of Satan. So you see how this builds from saved life through the covenant, uh, a new covenant in the gospel, uh, to being uh, transformed and to being collected together and under the authority of the, the established kingdom of Christ, not of this world. And how there is a transition in terms of family. Now a royal family of faith. Confessing and witnessing by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the divine Savior. And He is the Lord. And He has destroyed the kingdom of the Satan. Now before expounding through chapter 3, as I said, we'll take these sections uh, in turn and uh, return to them and go by exposition. But before we do that, I think it will be useful to recognize the themes that connect together uh, that these are more than just unrelated episodes. So let's look at some of the themes here. First about soul rest that uh, ended uh, chapter 2. Soul rest by salvation through reconciliation with the Creator God is the pledge of the new covenant gospel Sabbath. So going from there, Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath demonstrates by supernaturally doing good, saving life on the Sabbath. He's claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. He's claimed a Sabbath in waiting because he's the king priest in waiting. And now he moves into a synagogue. And on the Sabbath, he does good in saving life. He restores a man's hand to illustrate and demonstrate his supernatural power about covenant life is saved life. To have a new life with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So their soul rest by salvation through reconciliation with the creator God that's pledged in the New Covenant Gospel, for soul rest, a Sabbath that demonstrates supernaturally Christ's power to do good and to save life and not to do evil and kill life. And remember where that section ended? The, the, the Pharisees come together with their enemies, the Herodians, and they plot together, not good, not life, they plot together death, destruction, and evil, how they can kill Jesus. Jesus' salvation purpose means individually saving people of all kinds. That's why we read that people from all around came. All kinds of people came to Jesus. So Jesus' salvation purpose means individually saving all kinds of people from sin's death in this world. That's why we read that passage in Ephesians 2 as our call to confession this morning. He has made us alive. He has saved us from death. And we confess that. And it gives us hope and assurance. By grace we have been saved. I would encourage you to go home and read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. The whole chapter. Read Ephesians chapter 2 to confirm and assure and and bless your heart. We've been using Colossians 2 uh, over the past weeks as well. Where we read that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. Uh, the context here means more about the supernatural rulers and authorities. And that, that, those powers that are behind, even the powers in the world. Jesus disarmed them. He triumphed over them. 
We confess Psalm 68 this morning that was a prophetic uh, foretelling of how the Apostle Paul then uh, paraphrases and summarizes that, that in the ascension and in his session in heaven, the Lord Jesus gives gifts authoritatively as head of the church through the new covenant. He establishes a church as the kingdom of God. And he gives gifts, those office gifts, by whom he oversees and, uh, admi- and, and uses to administer the, the mysteries and the means of grace, testifying to his saving power. Jesus' salvation purpose creates a new covenant gospel people. You know, that word people or nation, ethnos, it's often translated nation. It means people, gathered people, a, a people that share some common things that set them apart, like language or other aspects of culture. But it, it means collected people. Jesus' salvation purpose creates from these individual people he saves a a, a new covenant nation, the Israel of God. That's what Paul calls it in Colossians 6, the new Israel of God to be, and this is what Peter says about this new people of God, this new covenant people of God, to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that by you uh, that rather that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This new covenant gospel nation is under Christ's headship, commissioned by his office gifts that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. He ascended on high, and by his authority and ascension and his session at the right hand of the Father as king, priest, No longer in waiting, but inaugurated and in session. What does Jesus give us from heaven? Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, which are teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the church, his kingdom. Now Jesus' salvation purpose transcends earthly relationships of family ties. And that's one of the challenging things in this uh, end of this passage in, in Mark 3, that even his family members came to him and thought that he had gone mad or they came to try to take him away because they, they were sympathetic, they were heartbroken, they were uh, disturbed, and out of love, their compassion was nonetheless misguided. And Jesus tells us concerning this that there must be a new family of God. And I believe and hope that, that members of his earthly family were uh, in the the uh, the new family of God, we have every reason to believe that we don't have to exalt them in any kind of false idolatry. Mary was a woman saved by grace, a handmaiden of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus on the cross referenced the end of that relationship. He he foretells it here, but he referenced that in the end of that relationship in saying to John, "Behold your mother," and to saying to Mary, "Behold your son." Jesus is saying the earthly relationship of of a mother and son is over. It doesn't go beyond earth. And so Jesus' salvation purpose transcends. It goes beyond earthly relationships of family ties, but also sanctifies the new covenant families with better promises by the witness and power of the Holy Spirit to the gospel with a fuller and clearer testimony of God's will revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ by whom Christian believers are made co-heirs in the family of faith, the royal family of faith and the kingdom of God that is from heaven. So we have hope. He doesn't leave us hopeless. He doesn't tell us that the earthly family is of no account. He blesses the earthly family in covenant. 
But within that earthly family and covenant, there must be faith. You can't believe for your spouse. You can't believe for your children. But in believing together, the earthly family is transcended into a greater family, the family of God in heaven, the royal family of faith. This is what Paul writes. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, he uses the term sons here as a legal statement. It's not excluding females. It's just saying with a legal standing, all who are led by the Spirit of God, male and female. There is no male or female in Christ. But we are led in legal uh, uh, founding uh, a justification, declared, declared not only right with God, but declared heirs of God. God owns us, adopted into His family. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, a new family of faith. Almighty Creator God is now our Abba. Our dear daddy father, our godfather, who is loving and caring and greater than any earthly father, transcending earthly relationships, no matter how much fathers love their children, God's love is greater as our Father in heaven. Abba, Father. The Spirit, Holy Spirit Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children, the technon, the dear little children of God. Not only do we have a legal standing, but we have an affectionate love And bond that holds us as the dear little technon children of God. And if children, then heirs. Because of that love and that adoption, we're also heirs. We're owned by God. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And then on in... Chapter 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you all, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you all may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus said to the woman at the well that God is seeking people everywhere to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says here at the end of chapter 3 of Mark that whoever does the will of God, that is the new covenant family of faith. They are His brothers and His sister and His mother. The new covenant family of faith making up the kingdom of God and the new covenant good news of Jesus Christ Power and authority as the Son of God from heaven. He has power and authority to create a new covenant family by supernatural salvation. That's the the theme and the developed themes of chapter 3 of Mark, which we will return to uh, in the days to come to look at more more, uh, deliberately and expositionally. I hope that this also stirs our hearts to come before the Lord's Supper to commune together as the people of God.